are listening to the Analuya podcast, where faith and animation collide. Each episode, we'll discuss the various topics in animated movies and TV shows, while also sharing our thoughts and opinions as they relate to faith and spirituality. Get ready to raise a hallelujah. It's time for Analuya. And you're locked into another episode of the Analuya podcast. My name is Josh, and on a Saturday morning at the time of this recording, and eating some um, good old um, banana nut uh, oatmeal that my wife has graciously made. Uh, my wife, uh, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. And if you're watching this on the video version, um, this really looks uh, really tasty, but um, I'm probably going to forget about it and it's going to get cold. <laughs> we have to reheat it up. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, it is, uh, it is November, guys. And so that means that holidays are just around the corner with Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. All that great stuff. And we just came back from our Cringetober series. So I hope you guys enjoyed uh, suffering with us of the worst of the worst of Christian animated movies. Um, again, they, they meant well, had good intentions. They focused more on proselytizing, which is not bad, but they kind of glossed over content. They made that secondary. Right. Yep. It's unfortunate. But, but like there, there are things that did it well. VeggieTales does it well. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple others that I, that I can't think of. And that's why there hasn't been many good Christian animated movies, which is probably why we don't talk about them on the podcast very much. <laughs> yeah. So that's exactly. why we dedicated a whole month to it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, we have the honor of having a guest with us. I know I say this like almost every month. But this is the series, the season of the guests, and we're very happy to have them with us. Rebecca, go ahead and do the honors of introducing our guest today. Yeah, so today we actually have a university lecturer in the UK, and um, she's also an author for Beneath the Tangles. Welcome, Claire. Hello, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, Claire, we're very happy to have you here, and we're uh, excited to talk about the anime series that we'll be uh, talking about for this episode but we're going to jump right into the interview to get to give our uh, listeners an opportunity to get to know you. Um, so we're going to go ahead and have Rebecca ask you a few questions and also dive into a little about what Beneath the Tangles is. We have kind of talked about it briefly in the past episodes, but I've never really like delved into what is Beneath the Tangles, how did it start, and all that great stuff. So, Rebecca, go ahead and proceed with our interview. Yeah. Um, first off, we wanted our, our listeners just to, to get to know you a little bit better, kind of like Josh said. So we'd love to hear a little bit about your, your background, how you grew up, all of that kind of stuff. Well, I grew up in Canada, um, and I had sort of a, a combination of your typical kind of city girl upbringing and then uh, a dash of Huckleberry Finn. Um, sort of moved to the countryside when I was about 12. And, uh, and then we started moving around all different places. I lived in Newfoundland for a while as well. So I had a very adventure-filled youth, as it were. Um, and uh, yeah, and part of that was also going to different churches. Um, so I had a very kind of ecumenical upbringing in the church. Um, and uh, my my parents were divorced when I was quite young. And my mom started going to church when I was about seven. So that's when we started exploring uh, faith and the, and the body of Christ. And eventually my mom um, married my stepfather who was a pastor. And so that's 
when we started kind of moving around. So I've gotten the, the kind of the inside look at the, you know, at, at, at the church, um, outside look. I continued exploring then when I left home uh, to go to university. Um, and I feel like I've gone to pretty much every denomination, you know, and it's uh, it's been a real uh, exciting adventure too to just see, to, to kind of grow in uh, appreciation for the, the diversity in the body of Christ. Uh, and that really has, I think, fed into a lot in my own uh, my own teaching, my profession, and and, uh, and also my work at Beneath the Tangles is this real appreciation for just how active God is, um, you know, how how creative he is, and just um, how he has such a skill and such a desire to uh, create connection, create bridges, and bring people together. Um, that's been kind of a, a constant theme, I would say. Um, anything else that would be interesting? Um, I guess you could say if I, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, uh, it was sort of a three-way tie as to what profession I wanted to go in, uh, and that was either veterinarian, uh, missionary, or a cartoonist, and I knew none of those things. <laughs> and yet, in a way, all three of them, uh, you know, sort of play out in my life, so so it's, it's cool. I love how God weaves things together, but I'm sure we'll pick up on that as we go. Yeah, so interesting, even hearing your your story and then the... Um the series that we're going to be talking about today, I'm like, oh, wow, oh, that's, that ties in a lot with uh, with what we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking about. So that's really interesting. So you said you're, you're a university lecturer. What do you lecture on? Uh, so my specialty is um, Stalin-era Russian culture, um, particularly looking at visual culture, so cinema, um, propaganda posters, artwork, this kind of thing. Uh, but I teach the sort of political history, cultural history, uh, a little bit of translation from Russian into English as well. Um, so it's all kind of in there. So studying studying cultures very much different from from my own culture, as it were. You know, both both for work and then for pleasure. Yeah, I, that's so interesting. That I think those who've been long listeners, they'll know that um, I actually went to study in the UK um, for my master's program, and it was in. Uh, art history and visual culture. So it's interesting that you you study um, or focus mostly on Stalin era Russia uh, visual culture that they had at the time. So that's really cool. Yeah, and it's a big reason why I ended up. I'm, I should have said I'm in the UK, um, and I know how I ended up over here is this was really the place to come to study sort of Russian cinema, Soviet cinema, that kind of thing. So yeah, so the visual culture brought us both across the ocean. There we go. Like you were saying, those connections that God likes to make. I'm. I continue to be amazed, honestly, when we meet people um, through the podcast. That I'm like, wow, that's who knew that that was a connection beyond just that we both love anime or animation in general. Um, yeah, it, it's awesome. <laughs> so you're you're a writer for Beneath the Tangles, um, which is a website that's focused on uh, on anime in the context of Christianity. So. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with them. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, well, the the website itself, the ministry as a whole, started about twelve years ago. Um, but I was completely oblivious to the existence of anime twelve years ago. So I'm actually more of a recent uh, member of the team. I just joined about a year and a half ago. Um, I just started watching anime maybe not even quite three years ago, actually. Um, but throughout my life, I'd always noticed that God would speak so powerfully to me um, through, very often through pop culture or through mainstream culture, through initially when I was younger, through music. Uh, and then as I was older and at university and got more 
interested in film studies. Uh, he was speaking to me so powerfully through cinema. Um, you know, films like Run, Roll and Run and Memento, you know, these not the kinds of films you associate with Christianity. Uh, and yet, you know, they were speaking deeply to my heart. And then that expanded into television and science fiction, which is, you know, sort of uh, lifelong passions of mine. So when I started watching anime, I was maybe three or four series into this little experiment uh, when, wham, you know, Holy Spirit just sort of hit me. And, uh, you know, I was I was learning life lessons. I was learning faith lessons. Um, from from what I was seeing. And so I started, you know, writing just as I had been writing my whole life about these things that God was revealing to me or challenging me about, or, uh, you know, directing me through, uh, throughout my life through music and film and television, I started doing the same for anime. Um, and uh, and I just happened to cross beneath the tables at one point And I thought, oh, I, I need to maybe think about doing something with these little, this little book of essays I have building up now. Um, so just kind of, you know, one thing led to another, um, and I sent out an inquiry email and Charles, um, who's known as Tweak Online, um, you know, said, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll print it. Do you have anything else? Uh, and then uh, eventually I joined the team sort of within a couple of weeks of that. So, yeah. That's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I think um, for Christians who love anime, they've probably come across Beneath the Tangles before if they've done a little bit of digging, we actually, um, they were an inspiration for the podcast. This was all Josh's idea, by the way. Um, he was the one who really wanted to do this. And then he, he pulled me along into it, <laughs> which has been a wonderful journey. Yeah. Originally it, it like, or that was going to be like, um, uh, part of the podcast. I just had to do like some graphics and the logo and everything. And then I, or then there is like, well, she has a great light narration voice and, <laughs> So Rudder and us, the co-hosts and all that. But yeah, uh, again, that to Beneath the Tangles, um, I had like followed their website, their blog for a bit. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do the same thing that they do. So let's broaden it a bit. And like, let's just open it to all types of animation. Yeah, it was pretty great. And uh, yeah, I remember having conversation um it was like, wow, where I was, cause I was asking Josh at some point, I was like, where do you see like this podcast going? Where do you, who would you want to work with? Who would you want to partner with? That kind of thing. He was like, oh, it would be really cool if we could partner with Beneath the Tangles since we're so similar in, in what we're doing and our goals. And, um, and then it was really cool when, when Charles reached out and was like, hey, we'd love to send some authors your way and, uh, and collab basically. And we were like, this is amazing. <laughs> so yeah, we're yeah. super excited. Just in the last few months, um, we've really sort of just uh, been um, nailing down what exactly our mission and vision for the ministry are, you know, because this changes over time. Obviously, Charles has been doing this for quite a long time, um, but the context that you're doing it in shifts. Anime is much more mainstream now than it was when we started 12 years ago. I mean, you know, Netflix, uh, you know, suddenly now is like filled with anime. This wasn't the case even just three or four years ago, right? Um, I, I, I see this in my classes. Like my students are all familiar with anime and, and the tropes of manga and, you know, these kinds of things. Um, and so uh, it's, it's I, I think it has really focused the mission uh, onto community building for us, you know, both for Christians who engage with anime and manga and light novels, a kind of otaku culture, um, but also to begin to bridge out into 
making a kind of community where we ask deep questions about about life, about how to do life, about how to be heroes, as it were, which is like the core theme of like 90% of anime, right? Uh, and to create <laughs> yes. this kind of, you know, space for discussion and for asking questions, rather than necessarily preaching answers, you know, um, but actually engaging with these questions in thoughtful and also Christ-like ways um, to build a kind of community uh, within the broader global, um, uh, you know, otaku and anime culture that is also representing Christ um, and, and sort of, uh, yeah, bringing Christian spirituality into it because it, it is in there, you know, that um, Japanese, a lot of Japanese creatives, a lot of, um, uh, you know, some of the, quite a number of their sort of Nobel Prize winning uh, literati are fascinated by Christianity. And so it's, it's constantly coming up. Um, so we feel like that's a kind of an opportunity there to engage with some of their engagement as well. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, it is interesting throughout a lot of anime, there is a lot of Christian theme, even if it's not quite right or very wrong at times. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. take, take for instance, a couple of ones that we've watched, well, one we have watched, which is an older anime called um, Jesus and Buddha, which like their roommates. Oh, yeah. And then theologically speaking, uh, the devil is a part-timer, very interesting. Yeah, uh, you basically have Satan and Lucifer, which they made two separate characters, basically yeah. also roommates and uh, being traveled from the demon realm into um, present day Japan. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, very interesting the way. Well, and they have different concepts of like demons too. They do. And, and the terminology that is often translated as demon in English doesn't actually mean demon in Japanese because they they have they distinguish between several different terms, um, but often all of those different terms are just lumped into demon in English. But it's interesting. I'd say like as a writer, I tend to engage with uh, and watch the completion series where I really feel like either I'm being wildly entertained and it's beautiful to look at and to listen to, um, or you know more often because I feel like there's some nugget there. There's like some hidden treasure in this field uh, that I am digging for. Uh, and then on the flip side, we have Charles, who um, he also has he has such a heart for otaku culture and for um, for young people um, that he will he will you know painstakingly sit through series that he personally doesn't enjoy, but they're you know they're the popular ones right now, and he is like they're persevering through them to mine them so that he can engage with kind of not necessarily the gold in the series, but the missed opportunities, the poor decisions, those kinds of things. So we try to cover sort of both ends of the spectrum through this ministry. It's not just picking and choosing, oh, here's a nice Christian thing, let me pick that up. Um, but also engaging with the more difficult, challenging stuff too that is uncomfortable, you know, and that often I think, you know, he comes under some flack for how can you watch this as a Christian? And he's like, well, but I'm watching it specifically as a Christian because I want to engage with the viewers, um, right. with the viewership of this show or this series, this kind of thing. So yeah, I, I, I saw like a post uh, where um, people were, you know, coming against him a little bit mm. because he was watching like uh, Rent-A-Girlfriend, which it is a popular uh, series right now. Um, not the best uh, male protagonist. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. again, we're, we sometimes have to watch these things. Yeah. Not that we necessarily agree with it. 
but maybe we can find some, as you say, Claire, some missed opportunities, mm-hmm. bridging that gap. And yeah, so I think uh, I, that's very commendable. Yeah. And I think um, I immediately, while you were talking about that, I immediately thought of domestic girlfriend um, when, where it was like, <laughs> it was so uncomfortable to watch, but it was like, but you know, it's really interesting to see this is how some like that they, they, some people think that this is okay, and why do they think that that's okay? Why is it not okay? Why is it very complicated, you know? And um, so yeah, I thought that's really interesting. So it's very commendable um, mm-hmm. that that's something that you guys all believe in and and strive towards because you know, and, and we can have those conversations even with non-believers um, and say use them as examples. I mean, well, the stories that Jesus told, they weren't all happy endings and they weren't all like they were bad examples. Some of them like this is what not to do. And, you know, I think we can we can take from that. Exactly. Yeah. And what's interesting you see often in the discussions um, in Insta- on our Instagram account and this sort of thing is that non-Christian viewers will watch and will say this makes me really uncomfortable. But I don't know why, because objectively isn't, you know isn't this just a different form of love or something like that? And they'll be really sort of questioning what some of the popular slogans of our culture are today. And I mean, if there aren't believers who have, you know, like like Peter told us to always be ready to give, you know, a reason for the hope that is in you, you know, always be prepared to sort of actually, you know, explain the gospel or explain, you know, why we hold certain views, certain worldviews or these types of things. If there's nobody there waiting to do that, then the confusion just kind of continues, it percolates, and everyone just says, oh, well, shrug shoulders, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, we want to get down to our series that we'll be talking today. So, Claire, what is the series that we'll be, that we will be discussing today? Yeah, so the full name is Puella Magi Madaka Magica. Um, most often it's just called like um, Madoka or Madoka Magica. Uh, and it was a huge hit um, back in 2011 in the spring. Um, and, uh, and then had a, a, a movie, a sequel movie come out a couple of years later. And we are now uh, on tender hooks awaiting the final installment, uh, which will be coming out at some point, I think, in, in this coming year. Um, and it's, it's kind of, it was the turning point, I would say, in, in Magical Girl. Um, anime which is its whole own genre uh, and it's known as the first of the dark magical girl um series and it really kind of i think shocked a lot of people and just blew a lot of minds when it came out because you know as you can see from the, the opening credit is just like a standard magical girl really poppy very, very pink very cutesy and then by episode three you're like no this is this is not this is not my sailor moon yeah, it, it really yeah, sets you up for like not. for like you know it gives you false security when you like <laughs> you, when you hear this. You know it's very happy, happy, and then you just turn the corner at episode three. But hey, surprise! It's not what we thought it was. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. It's quite dark. Quite dark, actually. When you really get into it, the author um, Gen Urobochi is known on the internet as Urobutcher, you know, because it is so brutal, and, and he's known for this. He's writing. 
Oh, interesting. Is that the same person who did, and, and currently on Ron, but it's another, I don't think it's like a magical girl, maybe it is. Um, it's a series translated into English. It's called When They Cry. Um, oh, it, yeah, it's like a, um, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who, who wrote that, actually. It's a good question. Yeah, I know that's a very um, uh, graphic anime. Uh, for So if you have a weak stomach, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Claire, why, um, and I'll just shorten it to Madika, uh, why <laughs> Madika, why this series? Yeah, why did I pick it for this? I think um, one of the major reasons is it was it was such an important um, series for Beneath the Tangles, because uh, it came out about six months into uh, the forming of the, the ministry. Now, I wasn't there, of course, but uh, Charles tells the story you know, that he's kind of thinking, you know, is this going to float? Can we actually convince um, people, readers that, you know, that this is a worthwhile endeavor? And then Magica, uh, Madoka Magica comes out with all kinds of like um, Christ-like parallels happening here. But, you know, with its core question really being a question about salvation, can magical girls be saved from the curse? You know, and, and Homura says very clearly, no, this is impossible. And Marika, you know, refuses to accept that answer, you know, and then we see her growing and developing and then sort of, uh, you know, the climax being this very messianic sort of um, gesture, you know, this messianic wish that she makes. And so it really just set, you know, the, the anti-blogger world abuzz. Um, and particularly a lot of Christians, I think, sort of came out from underneath their, their little rocks of kind of feeling like, can I like anime? Can I watch this? Is this... You know, is this separate from my faith or is this is this a guilty pleasure? Like, what is this? And to see, you know, these questions about salvation, this demonstration of grace on the screen, um, you know, I think was just a real sort of exciting moment for a lot of Christians uh, who, who enjoy anime because it's like, oh, wow, actually, there is something here that we can engage with, that we can talk about, that we can actually, you know, um, can speak to our faith and that our, our faith can speak to as well. Um, so I wanted to kind of uh, talk about it as this kind of, in a sense, you know, this this real kind of foundational, you know, uh, series for, for Christian Montaigne. Um, but also just because it's, it's it, it, it was what kind of confirmed for me, okay, I'm going to sit and, and stay in this little, this little corner of the world, which is anime for a while, because just visually, it blew my mind, um, thematically, uh, and then just, um, it wasn't actually the kind of messianic line um, and, and Madoka's wish that really spoke powerfully to me, but several other things that I really felt, you know, sort of God opening my eyes to and, uh, and, and meeting me in, and I'm sure we'll, we'll tease all of that out as we go. So it's just such a rich series, just, you know, artistically, creatively, but also in terms of faith. Yeah, it is definitely a very interesting um artistic choice of style that they had because you have the sort of classic anime visuals of the the magical girls and all of that and then when they go into the labyrinths and into um i think yeah it's a witch's labyrinth and it, the style is completely different it's this like yeah almost it's, like punk rock kind of visuals yeah, you got going on right sort of collage of pasting together and, mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. That's one thing that kind of like threw me for a loop. I'm like, wait, this isn't the typical style. Mm-hmm. It's like like somebody just pasted a whole bunch of pictures together. Yeah, yeah. And the, the studio that does it is actually quite what well, They have a, a very well-known series um, 
you know, a very complex series, the Monogatari series, and they, I haven't watched a great deal of it, but it's known for having this very kind of experimental and creative engagement with different styles of visual art, um, even some live action as well, all built into there. So there, this whole studio has, has always been sort of key to explode our expectations of what anime, what Japanese animation is actually all about. So interesting. So in your opinion, why do you think they chose to make that stylized difference in in the labyrinths for the, the witch's labyrinths? Yeah, it's a really good question. I'm sure that, you know, there is probably some interview material out there and I should have done some better <laughs> research before coming on. But I, I would say I think um, it, it's, it is shocking. Uh, and I think it is our first kind of foreshadow that things are not what they seem, uh, that this series is not going to be what we think it's going to be. Um, but also, it, it, um, so there are runes in there, and um, uh, there, there's a lot of um, also German uh, in there, a lot of kind of Gothic uh, influence as well. And so I think this is kind of speaking to some of the, the lore that this is trying to pull on as well. Um, so in a sense, it really is like literally saying, you know, this world of the witches is, is unlike our reality, you know, that this is, this is a whole different set of rules here. Uh, that are at play and, and you kind of feel that viscerally, um, you know, with the kind of the shocking difference in, in the animation style. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think too, thinking about the how we were describing the visuals of the like collage, as we find out later in the series, spoilers guys, uh, <laughs> that the magical girls actually become the witches. So they had lives before becoming a witch. And some of that visual representation of them as a witch comes into the collage of their life now as, or yeah, as a, as a magical girl comes into them being a witch. And I think you can see some of the uh, influences there. Cause I think, oh my gosh, one of them became a witch like that we knew intimately about their lives. Oh, it was, um, ah, what's her name? Sayaka. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah. She, um, and we see all of these musical elements because her wish was for her friend who was a violinist or violist. Um, and I just thought that's really interesting that there was like a mashing of life things Absolutely. in there. And it really picks up on, I think, sort of the uh, uh, the nature of a curse, right? That a curse yeah. isn't just something completely alien to your life. It's this kind of a perversion and a contamination of even, you know, their, their greatest wish, really. And so we see that. And so all the characters, you know, they kind of, they don't, they don't, they're not animated smoothly in those bits. They're all kind of janky. Uh, they feel very two-dimensional, you know, and you can see this, you can see visually the influence of the curse on their world, you know, um, and, and, and you know, this is now their lens um, for reality is all contorted and twisted. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, I feel satisfied with that explanation. <laughs> Talking it out was like, okay, I yeah, I think I do understand that now. <laughs> and while we're on the topic of uh, curses, so how these girls become magical girls is by uh, what I would describe as like a cat-like figure um, in the uh, one that we see, uh, Kibe. And literally cute, harmless, and it's like, yeah, I'll grant you whatever wish, and in return you'll be a, a magical girl, but it is literally making a deal with the devil, um, because you are giving up 
you, you had no idea the cost of what you're doing. Sayaka, yeah, she makes a selfish wish, but that, that doesn't matter. Like, she's still giving up something that's, you know, very vital. So, well, it's giving up her, her soul. Yeah. Her soul literally like detaches from her body. Right. And it's now in this little, I don't know, whatever they're called, little vial um, that's your soul. I remember, was it towards the end of the, the series um, where, Q, where uh, I think it was Monica picked up the little thing, whatever it's called, and she throws it. And Kube was like, What do you care so little for your friends? And she was like, What are you talking about? He was like, uh, That was her. You just threw her off. And her body just like goes limp. And so it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like they yeah. literally like you're no longer wow. like human. That's just a right. shell. Um like as long as that vial is like near to them, it just uses them as a outward um source. And that's it, is they don't know going into this, right? That that is right. actually you know, that they're signing on a dotted line. They're they're buying into, you know, what up until now, the magical girl genre has always said, which is, well, this is a free wish. In exchange, you just, you fight for the right thing. You know, you be a hero. Like, that's the cost, right? Is you become a hero. Uh, you become a magical girl. Um, and they don't understand, you know, the real cost. Because I, I think what's what's going on, in addition to the kind of deal with the devil type of parallel, this is really, in a way, you know, this might sound a bit harsh, but they are trying to play God. Um, because yeah. they're all trying to make something happen in their own power you know through this wish um and and that really kind of brings us back to kind of like you know the garden of eden um and and the fact that adam and eve didn't really fully understand what it was they were doing but they were kind of trying to play god you know and that there were these untold consequences to that but what's i think also really interesting is that Monica does know the consequences she does know what she's signing up for when she makes her wish and in that sense i think she's very christ-like because if we're honest, it's only really God himself who knows the full cost of, you know, separation from God, you know, so it's really only Jesus who went, you know, who has made that sacrifice, um, you know, that is equivalent to, um, you know, to what Monica does of going into it, knowing what you're doing and knowing the cost that it is going to entail, you know, and yet, you know, for the joy that was set for him, you know, thinking little of that cost. Yeah, it was something that he, obviously we see in the the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't really want to feel the pain. He didn't want to go through that, but he was agonized over it, but he knew what the cost would be if he didn't. And that was greater and more important. And Monica, you're right, she did know. She knew what she was signing up for. She knew that she'd be selling her soul. And, um, but she was like, no one should have to go through this. No one should. And that's why she made the choice that she did. So yeah, I definitely think she's a very Christ-like figure as we get to the end and, and see her choice. Yeah, and going along with that, there are, as Claire said uh, earlier, there are so many like parallels you can get from Nautica, not only like her kind of like messianic uh, type of gesture at the end, but just all the just all the um, other characters that like come to play. We see uh, one very blatant view of like the church with uh, Kyoko. Um, I think. Oh, yes. Yeah. The red haired who's always in the, the pocky sticks. Um, or an uh, apple for that. Yeah. Matter. Which and, is also very symbolic, I think. Right. 
her wish was well her father was a preacher and he just wanted to like share the good news and preach about different things and people didn't like that so her wish was that people would just listen to her dad because she loved him and she wanted to help him and it turned very bad in the end yes did not did not go well it's interesting. Uh, we were talking just before we we jumped on here about uh, about Kyoko, and um, she uh, she's a pretty typical PK, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and that uh, you kind of either go stereotypically, I will say, you either go um, you know full on missionary, continue to be a pastor yourself, or in ministry some some way. And then, um, or you just go completely opposite and deny everything, become a rebel, you know, drugs, alcohol, you know, the whole thing. So you could go um, two different ways. Um, what's interesting is that you're, you yourself are uh, a pastor's kid. Yeah. Lots to resonate with. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lots to resonate with. So you didn't become, you're in ministry, I guess, but you're not fully over on on one side but um but yeah so so what was like what was that like for you like resonating with this character yeah absolutely um because there is there is something i think as a child too is you have this instinct to protect your parents even though you know that it's it's the other way around parents protect their children but still i think often when you're when especially when you're the oldest or the only and, and you start to, your eyes start to be open to the fact that your parents are human too, and that they're vulnerable as well, um, and that they have bad days and sometimes are treated very poorly. Um, and these, those kinds of things, when you see them within the church, it's more shocking and it, and it hurts you more because it kind of shatters that bit of naivete of, but we're all, we all, we all love God. We all love Jesus. How can you be treating my father this way, my father this way, you know, my, my pastor this way, my, my mother this way, these kinds of things, you know, and there is a kind of a disillusionment that happens um, and or that can happen. And I think we see that with Kilko. Unfortunately for her, I think the disillusionment comes from her father's own rejection of her. You know, she doesn't realize that he won't see her actions as being part of his same faith, you know. Um, uh, and yeah, and I think that really triggers her kind of rejection then of kind of any kind of responsibility or caring for anyone or trying to really protect anyone. Yeah. It's a very extreme way of, um, responding, which uh, we so often do, right. We're, we're rejected. We're whatever it is. And then we go completely the other way of like, well, I can't let anyone in then because I'm afraid of that rejection. I was just watching, actually I'm going through, um, do you remember the book captivating, um, by Stacy Eldridge. Yeah. yeah, it came out a while ago, but on the Uversion Bible app, there's a six day course that you can go through, like a Bible study. And um, so they've got these video things that go through it. And um, I, the one today was about Fallen Eve. And what does Fallen Eve do? What does she look like now that we are, we've fallen? And um, one of the things was that like, we can go one of two ways. I fall into more of this category of wanting to control and control your environment by um, keeping people out and by staying behind the scenes 
Uh, they were talking about she's the woman who is always in the kitchen at functions, at parties, at you know all of this because not out of a servant's heart, but because she doesn't want anyone to see the real her and to um, to care because then the rejection would be too hard. And kind of seems like that's something that Kyoko is going through here is that she puts on that prickly front um, because she doesn't want people to get in to see the real her because that's scary and because she might be rejected again. And um, it's hard. It's hard to let people in and to be vulnerable. Um, That's difficult. That's a really great insight. And it, it sort of helps to explain why she spent so many days you know, for lack of a more delicate way of putting it, sort of just tending Sayaka's dead body, you know, trying to keep the hope that maybe this girl who she's starting to become friends with, you know, that there's still a chance for her to live again so that they can actually become proper friends. You know, it is, it's incredibly tragic. It is. The whole series really is. (laughs) I mean, there's a happy ending with, with Madoka, but um, even that is like, it's rough. (laughs) And get into, um, let's go ahead and discuss the character of the Honora um, a little bit. Now, when we first start in the series, Honora is the new girl. Monica wants to befriend. And Saika and Monica learn that, oh, she's a natural girl. And she's like, you know, tough and all yeah. this stuff. But as we get further into the series, Honora wasn't always that way. Time and time again, you know, no pun intended, because she has the ability to reverse time. Um, her mission is to save Monica from making the choice to become a magical girl. And even in the first instance, like, hey, you know, if you value you yourself, your family, you won't pursue this deal with Kibe. Which is good advice. You know, except that she does end up sort of becoming the savior of magical girls in a way. But, but yeah, yeah kind of like don't, a, don't sell your soul. Yeah. Don't do that. That's bad. Kind of like a role reversal <laughs> because we think Honora is kind of the hero, but then it kind of flips, you know, 180 and Madoka is actually the hero. Well, I think at first, though, we were meant to not really like Homura. Well, yeah, because, because she, how she's like, presented. Okay. Yeah. Why are you just coming at this? Like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and um, yeah, she she's very, she's not mean about it, but she's very firm. Just straightforward. And yeah. forceful about it. And um, it well, doesn't come across all that great. Um, but yeah, with Honora, we learn kind of like more about her character in Rebellion uh, 3. Uh, for the for listeners who want kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, upgraded animation, different type of musical soundtrack uh, for the series. There's actually three movies that kind of you can watch half the series in movie one, the other half in number two. And then there is a third movie that some people aren't sure where it fits into the timeline. Me personally, I think it kind of fits around episode 12, which is the last um, episode in the series. So, Claire, with Rebellion, what are your general thoughts as far as, like, what is that adding to the series that we may not have gotten previously? Yeah, 
that's a great question. I think um, what rebellion shows us is um, the consequences of Monica's wish, you know, um, because after she makes the wish, and it sounds like it's this is simply grace kind of invading a karmic system, right? And we're going to finally just scrap this whole uh, oppressive, um, exploitative system of, of wishes and curses, right? But that's not actually what happens. And, and we're warned about this in episode 12 in the conversation between Monica and Mommy, where Mommy says, you do realize that you're going to turn into a concept. Uh, you're not going to, you're going to lose your personhood um, and you will simply become a new law. And, and so this is then the world that we get to see in Rebellion. And then there's also um, the um, Magia side story as well, which is a three season kind of spin-off series that also exists in this reality where Madoka has become the law of cycles. So a, a new kind of um, logic to how the whole system works. Um, but the system is still there, right? Of, of, of prices and, and cost for that for becoming a magical girl, exploitation by the incubators, they're still there. Um, and so we're kind of seeing uh, what that looks like and, and Homura's realization that actually um, you know, she's gradually remembering that Madoka existed, that Madoka was her friend, and starting to put the pieces together that the incubators are not yet done with Madoka, um, and that they're going to try to twist this new system uh, the same way that they did the karmic, the original karmic system. Um, so, so we're kind of left with this really ambiguous end. Um, I'm not sure if you saw, there's like a very short after credit scene in Rebellion. And it's, it's so open to interpretation because we see Kyube has been beaten to a pulp by a dancing homura, and then she falls off the edge of a cliff. And then we have runes which pop up, and apparently the runes say, you know, in German, uh, who is dreaming? So it's like, that's the end? What? <laughs> um, so this is why we need, you know, another installment to find out, okay, can we actually fully get rid of this system of checks and balances? Is there room in this world that Urobochi has created for actual genuine grace to come? Um, or are we going to be stuck in a kind of more Buddhist-inspired kind of karmic reality? Can magical girls be saved or not? Yeah, that's an interesting question. That does seem like it needs an, an answer of can they? Can the system change? Thankfully, we have our answer for humans and that, yes, the system can be changed and uh, we can be saved, uh, which is which is awesome. Which is why, you know, like initially when I saw Rebellion, I was devastated because Homura was my favorite character. And I was like, what just happened? Um, but, you know, through a sleepless night and, and I literally was saying, you know, like, what, like, what's going on? Like, what are, you know, what do you think of this? Like, what are, what do you have to say about it? And I just, and I realized, oh my goodness, Homura represents humanity because she wasn't satisfied with a distant co concept of salvation. She wasn't satisfied with a system where there was no personal relationship. Uh, what she wanted above all was a personal savior, um, and, you know, and that she would go as far as to her knowledge becoming a devil in order to rip apart the system that didn't allow her to have personal relationship. Um, so I just felt like, wow, that there is a lot of seeking going on in uh, in this film. And I think this speaks larger, you know, much more broadly to what is happening in Japanese culture right now with um, the interest in spirituality, but also this kind of 
dissatisfaction with the answers that Buddhism and Shinto has provided, but also this wariness of Christianity um, and just this, but this continual striving to find, you know, like, is there a greater purpose? Is there such a thing as a loving God, as a savior, or is it up to us to be the hero? Is it, is it up to us to kind of make it happen? Is the best that we can happen, uh, hope for a kind of balancing out? Or is there something better? Is there something more? Is there something relational? Um, you know, and healing and personal. Yeah, that's, that's such a great insight into all of that. And that, yeah, the we do long for a personal relationship, and that's just built into each and every one of us. And I hope those, I hope the people who are asking those questions find the answer. Yeah, with all the um, seeking that's going on, like not only abroad, but here in America. Again, there's just this sense that I'm getting that, you know, people aren't, you know, satisfied with, you know, the quote unquote status quo, the things that they've been given as answers. Um, so uh, I, and I think that's, you know, great that people are searching and, you know, we pray and hope that, you know, they are looking to the only thing that can satisfy the, you know, the true one answer of truth. Well, Claire, we have enjoyed so much talking with you um, and are honestly getting to know you a little bit better, talking about Monica. Again, there are so many things that we could pick out. If we had more time, we'd be here all day. But Claire, if people want to follow you, keep up with what you're doing, how can they find you? Yeah, so I'd say um, I would direct folks to Beneath the Tangles. So we've got our website at beneaththetangles.com. But we're also on like pretty much every social media platform, uh, Tumblr. Uh, we're now back on TikTok again, uh, and of course Instagram and Twitter, um, and then um, also SoundCloud with the Doki Doki News, which has just come back as well. Um, so yeah, just come and check us out on whatever sort of platform is your is your jam. We are there uh, engaging with folks. We love to follow back as well, you know. So just hit us up, uh, you know, leave comments, get in touch. And if, for any writers out there, um, if you're interested in writing, we are always looking for um, sort of pitches, uh, and you can you can submit pitches through our website, uh, and then we would most likely be working with me on that, that the editor at the moment for the, for the kind of content development. So yeah, come along. And I don't really do social media myself, so that's why I'll you know shine the limelight onto the ministry as a whole. That's wonderful. Perfect. If you want to check out the video version of this podcast, then you can hop over onto our uh, YouTube. And we look forward to what Beneath the Tingles has lined up in the future. Again, great ministry bridging that gap between Christianity and anime. And until next time, everybody, keep those halos shiny and stay holy, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Analuya podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to keep up with all the latest information. We would love to hear your comments and questions about today's episode, as well as suggestions for future episodes. You can message us on our socials or email us at contact at